and welcome to the Australians Teach English podcast, the podcast by language learners, with language learners, for language learners. My name is Glenn, and I'm the owner and director of the Australians Teach English Institute. And with me today is my co-host, Ariana. Hello, Ariana. Hello. And joining, we're, we're very well. Well, I'm very well. And we have a special guest joining us once again, our friend, Dr. Howard Manns. Hello, Howard. Hello, Gwen. Hi, Ariana. How are you today? I'm good. How are Excellent. you both doing? I'm, I'm, I'm good. It's good to see that you blew in again to the studio. So, doctor sounds uh, doctor. That's doctor. Doctor. My mum's a doctor as well. Yeah, in Actually, doctor in, in what? Yeah, what does she do? In in science education. Science. Oh, oh. Well, I won't say anything just because I respect your mum a lot, <laughs> but I don't like science education um, like this. <laughs> Is this going to be another target of your anger, Oriana? Yes, my mom, because, well, actually... I hate uh, Ringo Cyclist, your mum. No, just... not your mum. I hate uh, education science. I think it's, I don't know, just Boring. Chanda. Yeah, well, actually, I think her, her, her thesis was actually on why, why, young, why young women and girls do not like science education in schools. I don't know. So, Thanks for the young thing. I, I got it. Yeah. So, so <laughs> she was actually she was actually researching why you people like yourself didn't like science at school. And 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 speaking of speaking of research, well, Doc, Dr. Howard Manns is is here, and and I was I was talking to him via via email, uh, t- trying to organize trying to organize a, a time to to get him to come on on the show, and I realized that he was just another blow in from from the from the united states but as it turns out we know that you're not actually really a blow-in anymore you've been living in australia for for quite a long time so i'm not really sure we could call you a we could call you a blow-in now but you've certainly been around the world you've certainly been a blow-in to many different places around the world and that's what we're going to that's what we're going to do in in this show today is we're going to talk about your your learning journey so in in our previous episode with you we talked about your life as a cia agent <laughs> we're not we're not we're not quite but you obviously have, obviously have an extensive history of of learning languages and and, mm. and things like this so how was it that you came to be learning languages when when did you start getting interested in languages probably when i was a kid when i was very very young um i grew up in a very monolingual environment um i grew up in pittsburgh pennsylvania which is a very monolingual white working class place and when i was a kid i gravitated to the language part of the library and i used to love getting books out on different languages and you know i I remember when i had barely learned to read i got a book on russian out because i wanted to learn the cyrillic alphabet Uh, (laughs) not because you wanted to be a cia agent not because you wanted to be a spy No, no, but you spend a lot of time when in it was the Cold War and you were worried about the Russians at the time. Um, But then it just so happened that I went to 
I went to join the Navy when I was 18, uh, the US Navy, and I took a test and I wanted to learn to cook. And they said, you did, you, the test suggests that you're not a good cook, um, <laughs> but you might be a good linguist. So they sent me to a language school and I learned Persian for a year at the Defense Language Institute in Monterey, California. There you go. You go, but had, had you actually formally learned any languages before that? I took high school French. I took uh, French in secondary school, but I didn't really learn much. I think that sometimes is the story of many people who, who end up kind of engaging with a language at the secondary level, at least in a place where that language isn't widely spoken. So I, I knew a handful of French words, um, but, but I hadn't actually learned, learned a language at that point. Yeah, it, it certainly is a, a common story for, for me in Australia as well. I think in, in year eight in Australia, it was mandatory to learn French, but basically oh. it, was an, it was an excuse to goof off and muck around, screw around in, in class, basically. And when you look yeah. back on it now and you think, well, geez, that was a waste of time. We're busy learning languages now <laughs> when we could have actually made the most of that, of that time. Exactly. Um, yeah. But as a te- especially as a teenage boy, you don't really think of these. You don't really think of these things at the time. Your foresight isn't isn't so good. So so then so then after you you studied Persian, then then where did life life take you after this? So I moved to Bahrain. I, I lived often on in Bahrain for about three years. And in that time, I would do interpreting and translating. And, um, and then I went back to the US and I went to university. And at university, I studied French and Vietnamese and linguistics. Ariana, don't worry. I have the same question. And probably everyone out I have listening to this huge, episode has, has the same so yeah, I think Ariana. I think you start with your questions first. Yeah, because you said you moved to uh, Bahrain, Bahrain. Bahrain. I don't know how do you pronounce it in English, uh, but it it isn't like a, a democracy, either like a monarchy. It's like a, a, a sultanate. Do you say like that? Sultan, yeah. Yeah, it's and how how does things work there? I'm so interested in that. Yeah, it's it's a constitutional monarchy officially, Bahrain. Uh, and what it means is that, yes, the, the king is in charge of everything, but they have a parliament. Um, and that's so the parliament gets to vote on things, but ultimately the king has the final say. So if the king doesn't like what they're voting on, in theory, he can just dissolve parliament or, or um, you know, or suggest gently or not so gently that they change their minds. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it wasn't as interesting as I thought. <laughs> what, <laughs> I'm disappointed. What, what, no, answer, I, what answer were you hoping for? No. I don't know because uh, the the in my mind like a sultan. Uh, I, I don't know. It's weird. It's a weird word. I've heard things about a constitutional monarchy, but not about sultans. Well, Australia is a constitutional monarchy. Yeah, but well, you gringos. <laughs> <laughs> What yeah, do you say? Yeah, nah. Yeah, nah. yeah you are. 
<laughs> so, so, okay. so you, you're, just... but do they do they speak Persian in Bahrain or do they speak Arabic? No, they they speak Arabic in Bahrain. So it was just a base for me to live in um, at the time when I was when I was doing work. And so while I was there, I had to learn a little bit of Gulf Arabic to get around. Um, as you would know, that there are different varieties of Arabic. Yeah. And the kind of Arabic that they speak in Saudi Arabia and Bahrain in particular is is called uh, Gulf Arabic. So I picked up a little bit of that just to just to get around, but nothing, nothing really more. And, and so, so then you returned to the United States and you felt like you hadn't learned enough languages. So you started, <laughs> so you started learning yeah. Vietnamese. Is that correct? Vietnamese. I did. Yeah. I mean, because growing up in the U S um, Vietnam played a big role in my parents' generation. So um, Vietnam was starting to open up in the early noughties to Americans um, and just, just the world more generally. And, and, I was really, I had two goals. I mean, one of them was to understand Vietnam, this Vietnam that had loomed large in, in my childhood or in my, my parents' generation. But the other part of it was I thought it would be a good opportunity to, to live as a multilingual um, because, you know, I was looking for a job to teach English. Um, I, I ended up going to Southeast Asia to get a TESOL certificate mm-hmm. and I, I thought it would be a good opportunity if I could speak French, if I could speak Vietnamese and I could speak English on a daily basis. Like for somebody who loves languages, I, I couldn't imagine really a better, a better situation. So that's, that's why I ended up going to Vietnam and, and studying Vietnamese to begin with. Fantastic. So, mm-hmm. so, you, so, you, so you taught English in Vietnam? Oh, no, it didn't end up happening. Uh, up- <laughs> you took a ship back to the Persian Gulf. No, no, I, I ended up in China actually, and I taught English wow. in China. So do you speak? This. I like this. And, and how do you speak Chinese? Um, no, not very well. Um, I but learned you a learned bit. a little bit. Yeah, I learned a little bit on the ground um, because I ended up in a regional place, and. Um, no one really spoke English that well. So I was just trying to learn as much um, Mandarin as I could. I, I ended up in a, it wasn't rural, but it was a medium-sized Chinese town called Chufu, which is the home of Confucius in Shandong province. And so, so in Chinese, the south, the southeast, kind the of, southeast yeah. mountain region. Is that where it is? Yeah, it's probably more central east. Central east. Yeah, Central East. It's, it's wow. if you about halfway between Beijing and Sha- and Shanghai, um, to the east of that. So, oh, really? Oh, so that is quite Central East then. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the teachers at the school took me under their wing and and kind of um, there was this there's this gorgeous but grumpy old Mandarin teacher who used to <laughs> pick me up to a blackboard and hit my hands if I used the wrong stroke on the Chinese. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure what it is about the Chinese teachers in China, but my, my students in China always complain about the Chinese teachers as well. They seem to be, it doesn't, it doesn't matter which school they're in. The Chinese teachers always seem to be very, very disciplinary and very brutal. It seems like, so they were brutal even to you. Hey, they were, they were brutal, but I mean, on the one hand I, I did, 
I did learn some of the characters and I learned to do the calligraphy correctly. Mm -hmm. um, on the other hand, I still feel a tinge of pain whenever I, I <laughs> when you start writing Chinese characters. <laughs> Alrighty. So then, so then after, after China, what happened? I no, ended up. Going, oh yeah. <laughs> No, stop talking because I want to cry. I want to travel. And something is so expensive <laughs> now. I'm so, so jealous of so, your so life. After China, where did you go? Uh, Indonesia. I ended up in Indonesia for a year teaching English. Um, and yeah, it was grand. I, it's, it's part of a longer story. I was hoping to be an American diplomat. And I wanted to live in one place for a long period of time and learn it. And I went to Indonesia, spent a year there, learned so much about it, Indonesian and Japanese, you know, it's Japanese. a multi yeah. yeah, context. And yeah, after that, that's, that's when I ended up in uh, Latin America for about a, a year and a half. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, go, going back to, going back to Indonesia is quite, it's quite an interesting story with the Indonesian language because yes, yeah. there are, there are different languages on the different islands. I mean, Indonesia is a country made up of hundreds, if not thousands yeah. of different islands and they all have, slightly different interrelated languages there and dialects or whatever. And as, as a, as a process of the, the, the forming of Indonesia as a, as a country, they tried to unite a lot of the, the languages into a sort of a conglomerate, but I'm not sure how successful that has been. I think that still causes a lot of, that still causes a lot of issues. So I think a lot of people prefer to just learn English because it makes it, it makes it easier. Yeah. That was that was actually my PhD dissertation. Ah, well, there you go. So, do, so, so was my hypothesis correct? Do the do they do they just find learning English easier than learning all the different versions of of in, different Indonesian? What was so your? What ends up, yeah, yeah. What ends up happening is they, they a lot of them um, a lot of them end up learning. Um, aspects of Jakarta Indonesian. So the kind of Indonesian that's spoken in Jakarta is viewed to be the Indonesian that is spoken by the most beautiful, richest people. And because <laughs> of it, the young people end up learning a lot of that kind of Indonesian. And if anything, I mean, yeah, in Jakarta, you'll find a lot of English speakers. In Jakarta, you'll even find people who were learning English as a nativish language. Um, but when you get out to places like Surabaya, which is the second largest city, or or some of the smaller cities, people people are actually learning Indonesian, and the young people are using Indonesian. But it's like cool Jakarta slang, and it's cool okay. slang, speaking. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. And then you went to Latin America. I did. Yeah. I I went to I I went to. Um, where did I fly to? Jesus. Um, San, San Jose in Costa Rica. And oh, I went oh, to nice. meet. Oh, it was gorgeous. I love it so much. Um, <laughs> and, yeah. And I traveled up to Mexico City to meet a friend. Then we traveled back to we were so aimless and pointless. We traveled down to Panama City. Um, we had this crazy idea to walk across the Darien Gap, which I definitely don't recommend. Uh, <laughs> and, and we didn't do it um, based on the recommendations of everyone. And we ended up, yeah, just traveling back up through Latin America, uh, Central America, visiting a lot of the places that we hadn't seen the first time. So it was it was aimless wandering for for that. Did, you, did you make it to South America? 
I did, but on an earlier trip, I kind of skipped that. I spent about six months in South America just after I graduated um, university. Um, I flew to I flew to Rio, and from Rio, I traveled down to Buenos Aires, where you're at, which mm-hmm. is an amazing city as if I have to tell you mm-hmm. um, and then I traveled over to Santiago and then spent most of my time actually in Bolivia and Peru fantastic so you speak so I assume you speak Portuguese and Spanish as well uh, just Spanish just Spanish yeah okay Not just Spanish. I love Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're, they're not important over there <laughs> But my, no. my first Spanish teacher was actually um, from Buenos Aires. Um, I took a single class when I lived in Pittsburgh in Spanish, and it was a teacher from Buenos Aires. And I just loved learning the Argentinian or the Buenos Aires uh, pronunciation, mm. which he told us not to use because people would get angry with us. But. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's quite funny. Like when I speak to my, my students in Spain, they tell me, Glenn, please don't speak like that. <laughs> and then, the, and <laughs> well, yeah, well, so, some of them do. So, well, some of them just laugh and say it's very, very strange that someone from Australia speaks with this Spanish, with this Argentinian accent, mm-hmm. this mixture. Yeah, it's, it's, it's... <laughs> yeah, it sounds weird. Yeah. <laughs> and funny. Yeah, I'm and not funny. going to. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. I'm, I'm proud. I'm proud of my, I'm proud of my Spanish accent, actually. It, it's yeah, good. it's good. I like yeah. it. Yeah, it, it's it, people say, yeah, you, you, it's obviously you're obviously you're obviously from overseas, but you're not you're not American. Where are you from? <laughs> yeah, they, they were sort of trying guess. No, you're not from the United States. Are you from? Yeah, Ireland? you're gringo, but from where? But from where? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they sort of know that my accent is is a little bit different to to most most of the gringos. Mm-hmm. And so, and so, then after that, you went to Australia and did your. You, you sent an email to Monash University, and you well, said, "I went back to Indonesia for a year first. Okay. <laughs> Another year, okay. <laughs> but, then, but then I sent that email. Yes, <laughs> okay. And so you said, "I'm not teaching English anymore. I want to study languages instead." Is that what you did? I think I was just really, really intrigued by that question you raised earlier about what was happening with the national language in Indonesia. Um, Because you're right, Indonesia has more than 650 languages and groups associated with those languages. Um, They were just fresh out of an authoritarian government. And part of that government was pushing this kind of Indonesian that was just, it just wasn't, it was so over-engineered as, as a language that people weren't speaking it and young people hated it in particular, mm. they associated with school. But what I had noticed was um, in a lot of the television broadcasts, they were using this young hip Indonesian and my students in the English school really seemed to like this. Um, so I thought, well, maybe there's, maybe there's a question here to be answered. So. I sent an email to um, to Monash University, a couple of universities, but um, at Monash University, it got picked up by a couple of people who studied language and society and also were experts in the Indonesian language. And they said, come down. We think this is a great question and we'd love to supervise this project. And that's what I did. So Amazing. I, 
yeah, I loved it. Oh, it's a <laughs> wonderful project. Yeah, amazing. And you and you and you've stayed in Australia ever since. Why? Oh, it's a great place. You're, <laughs> you're like y'all. <laughs> you, y'all, you, you use. Say. No use. <laughs> use. There, there's another Australianism. Use guys. So use guys are like like <laughs> America, but, but with better health care and and not as crazy. Not so as crazy. Like <laughs> better, <laughs> better health care and not not as crazy and no guns. Yeah, that ter- that ter- that terrifies me about the United States. I just terrified of guns. So mm. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I could ever I could ever live there for for, for that for that reason. So I mean, yeah, and that's that's one of the reasons why I'm drawn to here. I mean, other than the sunshine and just it's a really pleasant place to be. It's the really sunshine pleasant- in Melbourne, really? You get su- you get sunny days in Melbourne. I can I can even show you if my internet will look at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see a bit of the sun out there, but but there isn't there is an expression for for Melbourne. It's four four seasons in one day. So even though it's sunny now, it might be it might be raining and freezing cold in in an hour's time. Yeah. It's actually we we actually have a joke amongst the Australians here in Buenos Aires that the the Buenos Aires weather is just like Melbourne weather in that it changes very quickly except the weather it's except that it's warmer in Buenos Aires. You get four <laughs> seasons in one day in Buenos Aires, but at least it's warmer. So, <laughs> so so we joke about that. We joke about that here. So how many languages do you actually speak? Have you actually counted them all up? How oh, it's it's always a complicated question and I wouldn't claim to speak any of them well is, is kind of. <laughs> what about um, English? <laughs> I don't even know about my English. <laughs> worried about my poor kids, um, you know, because they're getting a mix of Irish and American and Australian English as an example of that. Um, I've got, you know, I've got a six-year-old and my six-year-old, um, so, you know, in, in the US, we would say sidewalk and in Australia, you would say footpath. And um, my, my kid actually says um, pathwalk because he just merges <laughs> all together. Um, or pavement. But, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But I mean, in total, probably I've studied about eight languages, but I wouldn't claim to speak any of them in, you know, with with any fluency at any one time you know you know how it is you you would learn a language and you get better or worse at one if you're using it and these languages hunt haunt dusty dusty shelves in my brain at this point yeah yeah so 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 how are you raising your children then like like we we were raised in in very monolingual societies so mm. so so are you encouraging your children to 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 learn other language or at least ex- explore other languages Always, yeah. I mean, the kids, the kids are the kids are surrounded. I've got two boys, and they're surrounded by me um, interacting with Indonesian friends and speaking with Indonesians. So, I mean, they're surrounded by that. But what we're actually teaching them is um, Spanish, and we try to get them to learn some Spanish. And part of the reason for that is that it's the language that my wife and I share, um, because my wife worked for a while as a as a journalist in Bolivia. Um, and because she did, like, it's, it's the language that we both speak. So we I, feel I think, I think we have to have her on the show next. <laughs> <laughs> I, bring, I want to go to Bolivia this summer. So. I well, we'll definitely questions. have to <laughs> definitely. Ariana, do you have any questions for Howard? 
I still have a lot of questions. Well, but, now, is, now well, is your time. Now is your time, Ariana. Now is um, your time. Well, uh, well, I have. A, I don't know because uh, my question is: it, it's not just for you, but how do you do for traveling all around the world and keep on the same line of your career and your job and that? Mm. How do you do that? That's my my my. my question my primary questions i think i think for me and i'm sure there are different answers to this but for me i didn't really think much about career in the beginning like i didn't it didn't occur to me that career a career of any sort mattered and for probably from my teenage years through to my early 30s I, I, it was kind of lingering in the background. I, I had this think, I had this niggling thought in my head that maybe I should think about a career, but at the same time, I was more interested in, in traveling and learning languages and learning different cultures at the time. So, you know, I left the military, I had money from the military and I used that money to travel for a while. Then when I went to university, I worked for, I worked a lot while I was at university and I just kept putting the money in the bank, could putting the money in the bank so I could keep traveling. And, you know, that's, that's how I kept it going. And uh, teaching, teaching is, teaching's a wonderful way to keep that going too, I suppose, or at least it, you know, it was for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it, that it, that is a good question, but it also answers one of my other questions. Well, if you're not so worried about your career and things like that, that's usually how you end up working in a university. Just stumble into it there's, by, there's, by default. <laughs> I, there, there was a bit of that. I, I suppose even kind of getting into, into the university thing at the time, for me, when I was working on that project, I thought, well, I, I don't really, I didn't really care how it was going to turn out. I mean, it was very fortuitous and lucky that I got to do that because I like teach. I love teaching yep. um, and I love discovering things. And, and so it suited me really well. But even, even doing the project, I, I didn't think that much about what I was going to do with it. <laughs> yeah, afterwards. Well, I mean, that, that's, that, that's really what makes good research. I've, I've been lucky enough to, to be involved in research. I was a research assistant for, for, for many years. And, and, and really, that, that is what makes the best research, is not worrying about the outcome. Yes. Mm. I think that that's the, the main point. Just things are going to come up. And, mm. uh, and I, th I think... And I think this is also a good lesson to learn about, about language learning as well, is, is not worrying so much about the outcome. Not, not worrying so much, oh, well, can, can I speak this language well or not? It's not really, it's not really the point. I, are, you, are you learning a little bit now? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think it's a very good tip to calm down the anxiety. Your anxiety, absolutely. Yeah, a lot. And, and so, so what would be some of your learning tips, Howard, for, for learning other languages? I, I think that you, you've stolen my best one, Gwen. Um, which is just that, like to, to not become so obsessed with some kind of end game as much as you can get away with not being obsessed with some kind of end game, but just enjoy language for what it is, which is a, a gorgeous opportunity to connect with more knowledge and to connect with more people. Um, and I think that's, that's really important because we spend a lot of time worrying about uh, in anything, I mean, not just language learning, but the final 
process or where we're going to end up. And if we spend too much time worrying about the, you know, what we're going to, we don't enjoy the journey. Exactly. That's the important thing. Yeah. Ariana, do you have any final questions? I want to say no, because I'm, I have one question, Howard. What is Good. the most difficult? What is the most difficult word that you've to found pronounce? To pronounce yes. in your journeys. We've we've got this competition going at the moment to find the most difficult oh word in the world to pronounce. Yeah, um, it's relative, isn't it? Um, because um, Mel- Melbourne. <laughs> How long? <laughs> <laughs> Sea enemy. <laughs> that's the yeah. one. That's that's the the most difficult word in English for uh, me. But nakamalapapak. Oh, that, that Tagalog word. Uh, <laughs> no. yeah, Tagalog. That's horrible. Yeah. So, otorin alaringologo. Otorino laringologo. You almost got it. You've done that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think- the most difficult words are always the English cognates in other languages. My brain just melts down as soon as I hear an English cognate in another language. Um, okay. And I, I'm trying to conjure up one in Indonesian. Um, and yeah. Uh, what was the... I'll, I'll just give you one, but and it probably won't strike you as that difficult, um, but something like in Indonesian nepotism is just nepotismo. And, and maybe, I don't know, you come across similar cognates, I think in English and uh, in, in Spanish, but my brain actually does an absolute meltdown when I come across cognates. And so typically I have to really spend some time thinking. About yeah, it. actually, now, now, now that you think of it, this is actually a common occurrence with, with Spanish speakers when I teach them something like if you say, if you get them to say sexism or feminism or communism or anything like this with an ism on the end, yeah. it becomes yep. really difficult for them to actually pronounce it. And I have no idea why. <laughs> <laughs> because all, all you're doing is just taking the O off the end of the word. Yeah, one of my students, when I give, gave classes, when I, it's okay, when I gave classes, when, you gave when them, I was gave giving class. classes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah whatever, um, he struggled with the word rhythm. Oh, rhythm. But that, that is a nightmare of a word. If you look at that yeah. phonetically. Yeah, he said rhythm, rhythm. Uh, he couldn't yeah, do it couldn't and do I it. said yeah it's really difficult sometimes it, it, it blows up and it just it, sometimes like it doesn't just say rhythm rhythm just, <laughs> I don't know just... <laughs> so, so I mean that, that is the, that is the other thing that we've discovered actually on the show it, it's often it's often simple words that we mm-hmm. that we we think of for, for me an, another one in Spanish that is really difficult is, is toros or toro Mm. Yeah, because yeah. it has the t and the d sound, even though it looks like a very simple word, having having those two slightly different sounds so close together makes it really, really, really difficult for a, yeah. for, mm. for a lot of gringos to, to say. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nah. So, so it was great. It was so. Would you consider yourself a blow in to Australia now, Howard? 
I wouldn't. I would say that uh, this is as close as I have to a home, and I love being here. <laughs> Good. Yeah. So I, I don't. I don't think you're a blow-in at all. So so a blow-in is someone that is recently arrived, maybe has taken a position from someone else. You think, oh, he's just some blow-in. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. S- sucked up to the boss, and he's just some blow-in with. In this in this job, I'm recently arrived, and so it's usually a disparaging <laughs> disparaging word. But I don't think you were a blow in at all. So it was fantastic to have you on the on the show again, Howard. I hope you, I hope you enjoyed your your time here again. So so from us at the Australians Teach English podcast, the podcast by language learners with language learners for language learners, it's us saying goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye. For more information about the Australians Teach English Institute, go to australiansteachenglish.com or follow us on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube at Australians Teach English.